Martin Luther once said, just as the business of the tailor is making clothes and the business of the cobbler is making shoes, so the business of the Christian is praying. If that's true, I have a question for us this morning. How's business? (laughs) If you're like most Christians I know, not as good as you would like it to be. That's the answer to that, right? If I were to say, if the business of the Christian is prayer, how's business? If we're honest, not as good as I'd like it to be. Maybe that's why Amazon carries over 70,000 different books on prayer, give or take. Maybe that's why 20 years ago we saw a little book about prayer climb its way up the New York Times bestseller list, past Harry Potter even, (laughs) to be the number one bestseller, The Prayer of Jabez. Any of you read that book? Regardless of what you think about Bruce Wilkerson's book, The Prayer of Jabez, its success exposes a deep longing on the part of many people to pray better. If the business of the Christian is praying, how's business? This is a huge need. I'm so grateful that we're starting to see like some conferences and conventions kind of start back up again after the pandemic. And I, I've, I've missed that. I've missed getting together with fellow pastors. <laughs> Sean is nodding. Yeah, like I, I, man, I just like, I can't wait for the next, you know, like preaching conference to be able to go to and hang out with my buddies. And when that happens, we'll sit around the table at lunch and we'll talk. And, and when the conversation turns to prayer, as it often does, There's univocal agreement at the table. I wish I prayed better. I wish my people prayed better. We're not knocking you because we're including ourselves in that. Like it's universally, when I talk to other pastors, they're like, I wish I was was better at this. I want to be better at this. A couple decades ago, Life Magazine asked the Gallup organization to conduct a poll on American prayer habits. The Gallup organization found that 90% of Americans claim to pray 75% claim to pray every single day. Yet with all that prayer going on, (laughs) we still struggle in this area. We still struggle to have a good prayer life. When when I ask people, are are you satisfied with your prayer life? Is it as good as it could be? The answer almost universally is no. No. Even Even if it's okay. In fact, I would argue that the most deeply committed to prayer people I know the people whose prayer life is like off the charts will will almost inevitably answer that question in the negative. It could be better. It could be better. So we're going to talk about that for the next several weeks. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our text today lands right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus teaching on the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. That's where we're going to be, Matthew 6, 9. Thank you so much for being here. For those uh, in the room, I'm grateful that you came. Take a second, fill out your connection card if you haven't done that yet. For those watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. Please be sure. It takes a little extra effort to do church online. So um, we wish you were here, but if you're there, cool. Just be sure to fill out your connection card. Stay active in the chat. Um, Earlier, Kyle mentioned our, we're going to call these apprariums. Okay, it's a fun word, right? Uh, I, I came up with a different term, but somebody on our worship team renamed that, and that's even better. So uh, we'll call these apriariums. And again, you're, at any point, they'll be up here all week. The book of Revelation says that God keeps the prayers of the saints in bowls. There's like a visible manifestation of prayer in heaven. 
That's so cool. So we're going to try to do that over the course of this series. We're not going to empty these out. We're just going to kind of let it build up. So if you have a prayer need you want to bring, um, you can come put the, at any point, uh, you know, during, when we're singing or, or whatever, uh, please feel free to, to come up and do that. Maybe not during the sermon. That could be distracting. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but if you have to, if, you, if the, the spirit moves you, just fine. Um, here's the deal. We still need you to fill out your connection card. Okay, because we're just going to leave these as a visible manifestation of our, our, our prayers. If you want our staff and elders to know about your request, if you want our prayer warriors, our prayer team to pray about it, please still do your connection card. So online people, that means you too. Uh, we still need you to do that. Though if you want us to put one in here, you just like type it in the chat and we'll hit print and throw it in there. Okay, so that's, that's how that works. Uh, a couple things, speaking of prayer... Uh, to add to your prayer list, uh, please keep uh, Chuck Roberts and Denise Wilson in your prayers. Uh, their mother passed away uh, this week. And then also keep uh, Boris and Josephine Bent in your prayers. Their son, Luke, passed away. He was 22. Uh, so really just cover these family in your, in your prayer this week. Can we, can we do that this morning? Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity that, that we have to gather together today in, in freedom and peace and safety. God, we're mindful of our brothers and sisters around the world, who many of whom have already met, uh, but they had to meet in secret uh, for fear of their government or maybe even their neighbor. And so we just ask for your strength for the persecuted church to bear up under this trial. We ask, God, that you would uh, not allow us to take these freedoms that we have lightly, that we would use them for your glory each day. We, we know that we have the freedom to gather together and, and lift praise to your name and prayers to you. And so we want to lift up uh, Chuck and Denise to you and, and ask for your comfort on them in the passing of their mother and on Boris and Josephine and the passing of their son. Uh, we ask your, your comfort to just and your love to just surround them this week. Help us, Jesus, to open our hearts and minds to what you would say to us in your word today. Uh, let us be receptive to that, Lord, because we know that, that through this, we can improve our relationship with you. And so we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I was reading through Matthew in my quiet time. And once, I don't know how many times I've done this, but I, I read this verse. This then is how you should pray. And, and that struck me in a way like it, it hasn't ever before, like a thunderbolt out of the sky, just bam, here's how to do it. And it hit me really how practical the Lord's prayer is. It is eminently practical. It is useful. It is a helpful tool for you to improve your prayer life. And so for a few weeks, we're going to talk about how to pray. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let's read this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I said a bit ago that I, I think some people struggle to understand prayer. And I think that's true. If you were to ask anybody on the street, what's the purpose of prayer? Probably a lot of times you'd get the answer, well, so that well, God will understand me. <laughs> that's exactly backwards. The purpose of prayer is not so that God will understand you. God is infinite. He knows your mind. There's not a single thought or feeling that you have ever had that crossed the horizon of your mind and heart and possibly the horizon of your lips. And for some of you, that line is really thin. <laughs> Me too. That God doesn't know. He knows. It's, it's not nothing you've ever thought or felt is a surprise to him. He understands you in ways you don't even understand yourself. 
It's not, prayer is not so that God will understand you. It's so that you will understand God. That's the purpose of prayer. You'll understand his heart. You'll understand his will. You'll understand his word. The main point of this part of the Lord's prayer is that we need to understand the identity of the one to whom we speak. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the idea of God's identity because that's this first phrase, this first clause in the Lord's prayer is God's identity. How do we do that? How do we seek God's identity in prayer? Here's the big idea this morning. When you understand the identity of the one to whom you pray, it helps you pray better. I will freely confess I am not satisfied with my prayer life. I know for a fact it could be better. Probably you do too. And so I, I want to get better at this. And I think the first step in that process is to lean into understanding the identity of the one to whom we praise. And this short little phrase at the beginning of Matthew, or this in Matthew 6, 9, contains three ideas really that help shape our understanding of God's identity that we appeal to when we pray. All right, now before we get into this though, there are a couple things I want to I, I address. First of all, this text is often called the Lord's Prayer. All right, it's often called the Lord's Prayer. It pro probably a better name is the model prayer. Because Jesus prayed more than one prayer in the Gospels, right? Like, I, I tend to think of Matthew 17 as the Lord's Prayer. That's where we see, this is Jesus on the night he's betrayed. And by the way, if you haven't read Matthew 17 lately, you should go back and reread that. Because he prays about you. You're in that prayer. Go home and read it. He talks about you in that. So Matthew 17 is probably the Lord's Prayer, but you've also got his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Father, not my will, but your will be done. <laughs> there are lots of places where Jesus prays. <laughs> so maybe the, a better way to refer to this is the model prayer. It's usually called the Lord's Prayer, though. You'll hear me use, use both terms over the next few weeks. I'm just telling you. It's the same thing, but and some, I'll just, you know, whatever term seems to fit. Here's the second thing. This is not a form it's a frame. Now, can you pray this prayer as a form of prayer? Yes. Am I throwing shade at our Catholic brothers and sisters who do? No. I'm cool. If you want to, if you want, if part of your devotional life is to a daily recitation of the Lord's Prayer, awesome. Great. Keep doing it. That's fine. But its intent is not a form of that you would just repeat every day. It is a frame. It's a framework to hang your own prayers on. We're going to continue to come back to this idea, right? The Lord's prayer is, is it's, it's kind of like a skeleton. You can flesh it out with your own thoughts and ideas. Jesus is giving you an outline to, to work from, okay? Which is why I think to a great degree, your ability to know and respond to the identity of God in prayer is bound up in the way that you approach him. Your, your prayer life will be revolutionized if you start right. <laughs> start it off properly. And so I think this text, just in a, in this one phrase in Jesus' prayer, gives us three insights on how to approach God in prayer. Right? Here's the first one. You need to approach him as a loving father. The first part we see of God's identity is that of a loving father. I'm a decently busy guy. Like, my, my Outlook calendar, by, by usually 10 o'clock on Monday morning, is pretty much full for the rest of the week. I try to map it out, try to use time well. Not, don't, don't bat a thousand on that, but I try. And I'm, I'm pretty busy, and generally, you know, meetings and, and scheduled times of study and reflection and prayer. 
But here's the deal. At, at no point will my children, if they were to come to the office, get stopped. And, and Sherry is not going to stop my kids when they run in the door. What, you can't go back and see him now. Your father's not available. No. They won't even ask, will they? They're just boom, right on by. Because they know they have unfettered access to dad. It doesn't matter. If, if the kids come in, I'll stop whatever I'm doing, and I'll, they're my kids. Right? And this is especially true of my oldest, Emma. She made a big announcement yesterday that Emma and Garrett are expecting. I'm going to be a grandpa. So, round about March, if Emma and Garrett show up, you come right on in. You've got my grandbaby. I don't, what, nothing I'm doing is more important than that, okay? It, it can wait. See, the thing is, I, my kids can approach me in full confidence, knowing that dad will drop whatever he's doing at the moment. It, it, nothing outranks them. Nothing. The first thing Jesus tells us is that we can approach God as our father. Now, the word father, it's the normal Greek word for father. It's not like a special word or anything here. But here's the thing. When you trace the way that Jesus uses this word in the Gospels, and especially in the parables that we just spent a few weeks talking about, you get this sense that God's fatherhood is probably the best and truest understanding of God's loving nature. If you want to understand how God loves, he loves like a father loves, like a good father loves. Now, some of you, when I say that, you've automatically got a warm fuzzy because you had a great dad, right? Others of you didn't. Maybe dad was not a great guy or dad wasn't even in the picture, right? Or it, it's a bittersweet thing because dad was a great guy, but he's not here anymore. He's with the Lord. And that, it's hard. It's this weird thing that you deal with. But if you want to understand how God loves, he loves like an ideal father would love. If you want to get, like, like you wrap your mind around this and you think of all, like, my dad was not a good guy. I can't understand that. Well, how, what do you wish he would have been like? You can impose that on God and probably come pretty close. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus says we, we can approach God. And by the way, I want you to notice the collective, the plural there, our father, right? We can approach him and call him father. That was a radical idea for first century Jews. The fatherhood of God was not a common theme taught in the Old Testament. Jews did not address God as father, which is significant because when they would pray, they stacked up titles, they just go on and on and on when they would address God. The Jewish, standard Jewish prayer started this way. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. And then they just started listing titles. How different is Jesus' prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven. I mean, he just jumps right into it. And he calls God Father. Right? Jesus' teaching is striking in its simplicity. And if I would argue even that it's not even until Jesus gave us permission to do so that humans were encouraged to think of God as Father. That term was too close. It's too intimate, right? And yet now we have that right. Jesus' Spirit living in us gives us, it gives you the right to call God Father. When Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin and rose again three days later to show victory over sin and death, and you, when you accept him as Savior and Lord and you're baptized and you receive God's Spirit to live in you, you also have the right to call God Father. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba. That's the Hebrew word for Papa. Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So on a practical level, we're talking about, you know, how to pray. How do we approach God as a father? I think the answer is actually in verse 5 and 6. Look at this. Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, notice, by the way, notice the word when, not if. (laughs) He's assuming you will. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The idea is that of a quiet and close conversation. I would argue that you're never going to experience the loving fatherhood of God in your prayer life if you are trying to impress him with your ability to pray. Spoiler, you can't do that. I'm I'm sorry if this disabuses you of something you've been trying to do your whole life. You're never going to impress God with your prayers. He's infinite. He's, you're finite. Like, if you're a parent, you know this experience. You, you've had this experience, right? When your kid comes up to you, Daddy, watch, I'm going to do a cartwheel. And it's like this. Hey. And you're like, dude, I've seen the Olympics. You're not that great. It doesn't change my love for you. But that was a pretty lousy cartwheel. And sometimes I think we go into prayer and we try to impress God with... Some of y'all use words in prayer. You don't even know the definition of the word. Stop it. You're not impressing him. He already loves you. You don't have to earn the favor of God in your prayers. He already loves you. He's your father. Jesus says, just talk to him. Just in quiet conversation, just talk to him. One of the most helpful aspects of this idea is that no matter what your relationship with your dad was, you can relate to God as father in your prayer life. We have some people in our community whose relationship with their dad is often kind of different. I want to ask Gene to join me on stage. Um, Gene is part of a team of volunteers who serve with Kairos, which is a prison ministry. Kairos is, is one of the Greek words for time. And um, in this coming weekend, there's a, a, a group is going to be in a women's prison, right, for Kairos Inside. And, uh, and then in October, there's a... There's a there will be a men's group and a women's group. A men's group and a women's Okay, so they're going to go into the prisons and serve. I, I want to ask, for just a, if you're serving with Kairos and you're here, would you stand? Would you mind? We just want to stand. So we've got some members here who are, are serving. We just want to pray for you guys, because what you... St- remain standing, please. What you're going to do is so significant... And, and I just, I've asked Gene uh, to voice a prayer for, for these folks. Um, you know, we were talking about this before, that some of the folks in these prisons yes. don't, don't have a great relationship with their dad. No, no, and no. that may be part of the reason that they're there. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they, they're going to have an opportunity to help understand the fatherhood of God. So can we just pray for these folks together this morning? Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for you, for your love, Father, for, for you being daddy, for mm-hmm. you being holy. We ask, Father, that you, you bless this group that's going in this weekend, Lord, this group that will be attending to the, the family members of those who are incarcerated, who will be bringing the love of Jesus to them. I ask that you bestow upon them an extra uh, gift of, of confidence, of strength, and that they will allow you to flow through their mouths and through their actions throughout the weekend, Lord. I pray, Father, for 
um, each person that will be attending. Uh, we know, Lord, that you've already in advance uh, put together what's going to be said and how it's going to work throughout, their, throughout the weekend. Um, I just ask that everyone's heart and minds are open to receive what you have. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to be your hands and feet in such a, a dark place, a place where um, people are forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, just, uh, just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and for all those who are willing to go in and, and be, be this, uh, these hands and feet for you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. So please, uh, please keep the, the folks serving with Kairos in your prayers um, this next coming weekend as well as um, later this fall as well. We, we can approach God confidently in prayer because we are his dearly beloved children. Um, but you must also not forget that your father in heaven is also the king of the universe. <laughs> and that's really the second idea here is that we have to approach him as a majestic Lord. There's this wonderful contrast that Jesus draws here that God is not just our loving Father. He is that. He's not just that. He is the ruler of the heavens, our Father in heaven. Now, this idea of heaven in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, is surprisingly complex. To Jesus' disciples, heaven was seen primarily as the dwelling place of God and only secondarily as the final abode of the righteous. When, when Jesus' disciples thought of heaven, they, they primarily were thinking of, the, you know, God's dwelling. And only secondarily was it, yeah, like, and that's where we'll go when we die. That was a distant second for them in their mind. And that being said... The scriptures acknowledge that not even heaven can contain God. 1 Kings 8, 27, in Solomon's prayer, he, in dedicating the temple, he says, not even heavens can contain you, Lord. God is infinite. So the mention of God dwelling in heaven, it emphasizes his power. It emphasizes his majesty. It emphasizes his sovereignty. It gets us ready for something we're going to talk about next week. But I want to focus on this idea for a second of God dwelling in heaven. Jesus makes this contrast crystal clear. We can approach God in a comfortable, intimate way as a children approach a loving father. But in so doing, we should never forget that he, our father, is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And it's, it's tempting to be intimidated by that fact that in prayer we're approaching this majestic king of glory, right? And it, what's weird is, it doesn't matter what your view of, you know, your view of God's glory is, you can still get freaked out by this. So Christians with a really high view of God's glory can get intimidated by this. And they see, wow, God, and I'm, I, I, I'm talking to God. And they, they pray these weak, wimpy prayers because they're like, I don't want to tick him off. You know, I don't want to make him mad because it's God and I'm, I'm so far away. But on the flip side, you've got people who have a very low view of God's glory. They've got a low view of God. And they pray empty prayers because they think he can't do anything about it. Like, oh, God, if you're able, he is able. He's more than able. There was a song about that. Like, we say, more than able, right? Like, it's weird. We get ourselves all psyched out about this. I think we need to fight both temptations, There are a lot of people out there, maybe some in here today, maybe some watching online today, who think that God is either too busy running the universe to listen to them, or somehow he's not strong enough to do anything about what what their issue is. Neither one of those things is true. 
And that being said, we should never, ever go flippantly into the presence of God in prayer. Like, like don't, don't be like, yo, God, what up? Like, it's not, don't do that. So how do we do this? How do we balance this contrast of God's loving fatherhood and his majestic lordship? Look at verse 7 with me. Look at this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. I think the answer here is just simple and direct. Say what's on your heart. In the ancient world, you did not come into the presence of a king and hem and haw and beat around the bush. You know, you, you get to the point. <laughs> you, you say what you're there to say and be done, right? He's the king. And, and so I think the same thing applies here. When you pray, Jesus says simply and directly speak your mind. You, you are a subject of the king and you've been blessed with the, an audience with the king of kings and lord of lords. Don't hem and haw and beat around the bush, just get to the point. Simply and directly say what's on your heart. I heard a story about uh, a farm in Kansas. And uh, it was one of those days, it was harvest time, and, you know, they had, the whole family was there working, and they had some farmhands in, and the local pastor stopped by for a visit, just kind of randomly, and they're all kind of there, and they're watching, sitting around the table at lunchtime, and the sky turns dark, and the clouds start to churn a little bit, and if you grew up in Kansas, you know what that means. It means you get to the root cellar now. And so they all, anybody here ever been in an old-fashioned root cellar, right? It's, it's just like a little, yeah. So they're down in here, right? And the winds are howling, and, and the, this old wooden door, you know, is just, just rattling, you know? And they're all thinking, any second, that door's going to get ripped off, and we're all going to get sucked out of here and die. And, and the pastor can feel the nervousness and anxiety in the room, and so he begins to pray. And he was, was kind of an orator at heart, and he begins to pray this prayer with great oratorical effect. Oh, God, almighty, Lord of the heavens, Lord of the storms, we pray to you, Father, to send us the spirit of the children of the promised land, the spirit of the children of Moses, the children of Israel, Lord. And all of a sudden, one of the farmhands, who didn't have as much oratory but a lot more directness, broke in. <laughs> He said, Lord, don't send nobody come yourself. This ain't no place for children. <laughs> it never fails to amaze me that our Father, our Father, the majestic Lord of glory, would incline his ear to listen to me. That blows my mind. And as a result, it makes me go into moments of prayer with a deep sense of reverence for who it is that I'm talking to. <laughs> Don't worry about impressing God with your prayer. It's not possible. Just state what's on your heart simply and directly and let it stand. There's one more insight about how to approach God in prayer. And you need to approach him as a holy God. And, and I think this one is, I, I believe, the most fundamental here. If you were to survey everything that the Bible says about the nature and character of God, you're going to come up with quite a, quite a wonderful list, right? He's loving. He's glorious. He's powerful. He's merciful. He's mighty. He's, I mean, you start, you start stacking up languages, and that's exactly what the Jews did when they prayed, right? They just stack up all these terms. God is awesome. He's infinite. You just go on and on and on. But you know what the Bible says more about the, the character and identity of God more than anything else? It's he's holy. 
That is what is repeated around the throne forever and ever. They don't, the angels and the 24 elders don't sing love, 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 love. They don't sing mercy, mercy, mercy. What do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Forever on repeat for eternity. So if you don't like worship songs with a little repetition, and you want to go to heaven, I'm just saying, better learn to be okay with it. God, over and over, he says God is holy. Here's what that has to do with our prayers. The word translated hallowed is an old-timey, old-fashioned word for holy. And I checked, and out of all of our major English translations, all of them use the word hallowed, borrowing from the King James, right? 1611, when that translation was done. It's been around a while. Only the New Living Translation uses the word holy, which is what hallowed means. So, so like, use words that you know, right? If you want to acknowledge the, the specialness, the uniqueness, the moral and spiritual perfection of God, you can just say holy. You don't have to say hallowed, because I guarantee you didn't use hallowed at any point this week in your conversation. <laughs> just holy, that's, that's fine. You can, you can say that. It means sacred. It means set apart. It means different. And like, how, how do we, as, as broken, finite human beings, how do we even get our head around this? Well, you can just list all the areas where you're broken and God is the opposite. If you struggle to tell the truth, God is always the truth. If you struggle with lust, God is always perfectly pure. If you can't keep control of your tongue, God has never once in the history of the universe uttered a word he did not intend. Where, where it is you struggle, God is the opposite. So in trying, to, in trying to wrap our feeble, broken minds around the idea of God's holiness, that, that helps. When I contrast my life with God's holiness, I see a God who is not proud, but he humbled himself and became a human being and was obedient to death, even death on a cross, Philippians says. I see a God who is perfectly spotless, perfectly pure. I see a God who's always in absolute self-control. I see a God whose every word is faultless. I see a God who is clean and pure and right and just and true. So if the prayer simply said, our Father in heaven, you are holy, it would be a good prayer. But Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy is your what? Name. This name connotation gives the holiness of God a personal nature. It, rather than an abstract idea, it puts a face on it. In antiquity, a person's name was their identity. It was their character. It was their, the essence of who they are as a person. It's not just a label. It's a summary of who they are. Our culture desperately needs, to under, needs us to understand this idea for them, I think, because they've lost this, this concept. Because we, we live in a culture that tries on and trades around identities like teenage girls do with clothes. No offense. It's just like, I'm this today. No, I'm this today. No, I'm this today. The identity and character of God do not change. Jesus is saying that when we address the Father, we address a God whose very nature is holiness, whose very identity is moral and ethical perfection. Listen, there are a lot of God's qualities that inspire me and, and make me want to worship him. But it is his holiness that makes me want to praise him with every breath in my being. 
Jesus says that our prayers should begin by approaching our divine Father, who's king of the universe, and praising him for being perfectly pure and without fault. And you're like, how in the world can I approach a God like that? And the answer is in verse 8. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. That Jesus has provided the only way you could ever do this. The only way you could ever approach God, the Father, is through his son Jesus and his blood poured out for you. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it is because of him, referencing the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. On a practical level, here's how this plays out. Through Jesus, we are allowed access to the throne and ear of God the Father himself. But the closer we draw in intimate prayer, the more aware we are of our own sinfulness. I don't know if you've experienced this, but the holiest people I've ever known were also the most keenly aware of their own sin. And so there's this temptation to pull back. I'm not, please God, I, I, I'm not worthy to be here. But the crazy thing, and this is only Jesus could do this, is the more you hallow the name of God in your life, the more you acknowledge the holiness of God in how you live, the closer he draws you in prayer. If you don't feel close to God when you pray, guess who moved? It wasn't him. He draws us closer. The more you hallow God's name in your life, the more you will see his holiness expressed to you in prayer. That only comes through Jesus. You can only approach God's holiness through Jesus. I don't often do this, but I'm going to do it now. Um, I, I, <laughs> little soapbox for just a second. So can I share a pet peeve with you? It drives me nuts. And I have to physically restrain myself when I hear people refer to God as the man upstairs. Boy... Listen, I'm your pastor, and I love you, but if I ever hear you say that, I will beat you in Jesus' name. <laughs> in Christian love, I'm going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. That is not the one to whom we speak. You address a loving Father who is a majestic Lord, and He is Holy. Talking to the man upstairs is not hallowing God's name. You know what else doesn't hallow God's name? When you call yourself a Christian and then act in a way that utterly repudiates that testimony, that does not make God's name holy. You have taken his name. That is his character. It is his identity. You have taken his name upon you. Live that way. And if you don't, you don't get to be shocked when God does not hear your prayers. If you will not hallow his name in your life, you don't get to be surprised when God doesn't listen to you when you pray. But if you will hallow God's name, his reputation, his character in your life, he will hear and he will heed your prayers. 
Not because I said so, but because he has committed himself to that in his word. This, then, is how you should pray. Man, it hit me like a thunderbolt out of the sky. Can I confess to you this morning that I have (sighs) grieved every day where my prayer life wasn't what it could be. Can you identify with that? I, I, I confess that for so long I struggled that I thought the purpose of prayer was that so that God would understand me and not the other way around. Can you identify? For so long I felt that sometimes my prayers just bounce off the ceiling because of the way that I'm living. Am I the only one? This then is how you should pray. In the parallel passage in Luke 11, 1, Jesus' disciples actually asked Jesus to teach them how to do it. And Luke 11, 1 says, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and Luke then gives his version of this prayer. The, the disciples must have seen something dynamic, something powerful, something different about Jesus' prayer life, and they wanted it. Do you want that this morning? Because if your prayer life is going to be different, if you want it to be dynamic, if you want it to be powerful, if you want it to be transformative, you need to lean into your understanding of God's identity. Start there. And then we'll keep going. We'll figure out the rest from that. Today you have an opportunity to do that. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing a song together. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not hallowed God's name in your life. And I would encourage you, if that's where you're at, he invites you to come to him. Even if you have not made his name holy, (laughs) you are still welcome at his table. And he would have you repent. He would have you turn your back on that sin and live in righteousness. So maybe as we sing, you might want to come forward and tell somebody that for the accountability. You might just need to make a decision right where you stand. Maybe you've got an area of your life that you've kind of been holding on to ownership. And God is not yet Lord of that area. And you're going to, even as we sing, to make a decision to recommit your life to him. And maybe you want to make that public, and we'd love to rejoice with you if that's where you're at today. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've ne- you don't have the right to call God Father because you've not responded to the gospel. And you need to know that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin. He paid the penalty for all the areas where you have not hallowed God's name. And he invites you to come to him, to acknowledge that, to name him as Savior and Lord, to be baptized, to receive the Holy Spirit of God. And then when you pray, you can call God Father. If you've never done that, you've got an opportunity to do it right now. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing together. And you respond as God leads you.